0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 276.
1: is more important than being polite. We want both, but if we have to choose one, we're gonna take being right.
0: Hi, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and your professional growth. My name is Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then you need to read intentionally and consistently. As a matter of fact, the Read to Lead podcast is gonna help you narrow this reading list and bring you key insights and value. Ideas in the process from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. One of those is the guy we're chatting with today. In just a few minutes, we'll sit down together with John Rossman. He's author of the brand new book, Think Like Amazon, 50 and a Half Ideas to Become a Digital Leader. I'll be asking John, a former Amazon executive, to share how Amazon became the model for how to succeed in the digital era, strategies you can implement for systematically creating and practicing customer obsession, one super effective way to differentiate yourself from the competition, and lots, lots more. If ever in the course of your business, you've ever asked yourself, what would Amazon do in this situation? What would Jeff Bezos do in this scenario? Well, we're going to help answer those questions today. Another book I recently finished and would like to recommend to you is written by a guy named Hal Elrod, who has appeared on Read to Lead before to talk about his book, The Miracle Morning. His new book, which came out in April, is called The Miracle Equation. And in it, Hal covers the two decisions that will move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable. In fact, it is the book we're reading this month in my online book club. If the idea of an online business book club sounds appealing to you, especially one where the author of the book we're reading occasionally shows up to our monthly discussions, then you want to check out Read to Lead University. That's my online book club. You'll find out more about it at readtoleaduniversity.com. com. John Rossman was an executive at Amazon, where he launched and scaled the marketplace business, which now accounts for more than half of all units sold at Amazon.com. He also led the enterprise services business with responsibilities at Target.com, MBA.com, and other top brands. He now heads Rossman Partners, a niche business advisory firm that helps clients innovate and grow in the digital era. He has worked with the Gates Foundation, Microsoft, Nordstrom, Target, Walmart, and many others. And he's also highly sought after for expert commentary on Amazon by global news media like the New York Times, CNBC, and Bloomberg, among others. His most recent book, the one we're diving into today, is called Think Like Amazon. 50 and a Half Ideas to Become a Digital Leader. I'm excited to be chatting with him from his hotel room in Cancun. Welcome, John, to the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Jeff, thanks for having me.
0: Well, uh, how, how long ago did you form Rossman Partners? How long have you been doing that?
1: Well, I left Amazon in late 2005. I was then a, a partner at a firm called Alvarez & Marcel for 12 years, and then I, I started Rossman Partners about two years ago, but I've been more or less, for the past you know, 15, 16 years, been helping my clients and leaders make the future for themselves right so become digital become more innovative help make change happen and i just started to see the power of all of the different strategies and techniques and leadership principles from amazon in helping my clients make change and so i always say like the book is not about amazon it's about helping leaders make change happen in their organizations borrowing from amazon's playbook
0: Mm. Well, speaking of Amazon's uh, playbook, if you'll permit me, they seem to be the example uh, for other companies that, that want to succeed in the digital era. How, how did Amazon become that model?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it's that's not... A simple answer, right? There's no right. one thing. I think. I think so much of Amazon's story. I think there definitely was a timing aspect uh, mm. for them. I think that patience has played in a, uh, an understated role in Amazon's success. They've made some bets and stuck with some things that most other organizations and leaders would have given up or not even started on because they sounded foolish at the time. But I think it's really they they get frustrated with how things currently work, and they have the mindset of, well, we can do better than that, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes those are big things, sometimes those are just small little things. And so I think that they are a group that they're active customers, they're active users of their own tools, and they notice where things could be better. And I think especially like if you just focus on one aspect, which is cycle time, right? Mm -hmm. Cycle time is just the the delay time that it takes to get something done, right? shrinking cycle time is a is a great orientation to how to innovate cost is another good one but i think cycle time really gets at the immediately impulse that is always mm-hmm a killer feature for anything. Taking cycle time out is always a great feature, almost for any (laughs) product. So there's lots of things that have led to Amazon success. And that's why I get asked a lot, like, wow, you know, 50 ideas, that's a lot. Can you, you know, narrow it down to one? And it's (laughs) like, well, you know, that's tough to do, you know, and everything, because it's not one thing. It's a its a play. I refer to it as a playbook, right? Mm. I'm thinking of like a, an NFL team's playbook, like there's hundreds of plays. Well, Amazon's the same way. Depending upon the situation, you're going to pull on different things. And that's where, you know, kind of wisdom and experience is needed to know, well, which of these ideas do you bring forth for what effect and how to use it appropriately?
0: Mm. I think it's been uh, relatively uh, well documented. And you write about it in the book, uh, the fact that, that Jeff Bezos subscribed. The idea that there are basically two types of companies, the day one type and the, and the, and the day two type. But for the uninitiated, I'm wondering, uh, John, if you could unpack that, that concept and, and maybe share why this is such an important principle for businesses to follow.
1: Yeah, well, a day one company is the type of company that is optimistic about the future, is investing in the future, isn't trying to harvest in particular profits for immediacy. And they have this concept of, you know, we are inventing the future. A day two company is kind of the 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 opposite on most of those factors, right? They tend to be fairly static. So they, they can be tremendous operators, but they're not inventing. In the future, they're typically trying to optimize over a pretty short period of time. They may not be investing in much of the future because they're trying to optimize, you know, short-term profits. Mm-hmm. And they and they tend to be a little more, maybe, I don't know if the right word is pessimistic, but they aren't quite as optimistic about the future in their true heart of hearts, mm-hmm. right? And that's the essential difference of a, of a day one company versus a day two company. And I think one of the things that Bezos does and Amazon does, and I try to do in the book, which is, well, you know, what do you, you do if you're a day two company like how do you develop the insights the attitudes the 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 mechanisms, the things you do in order to become a day one company.
0: One of the 50 or 50 and a half ways that, uh, that John mentions is creating customer obsession in your business. John, what are some of the methods that you recommend for systematically creating and, and, and practicing customer obsession?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Amazon has 14 leadership principles. Customer obsession is the first. Mm. Um, it's probably the most famous, but it is only one of 14, right? But I think the things to do to develop customer obsession Is first make sure the message from the top is understanding thy customer is everybody's job, Mm. right? That's we don't you know it's not left up to a chief customer officer or a customer experience group or something like that. Like that needs to be the tone from the top, which is everybody needs to understand the customer. The second is developing the habits of every time we get together to talk about a topic or whatever, wherever possible, we always start with, well, how does this impact the customer experience? How did this impact the customer? And try to wrap up with how has our resolution on this impacted the customer? And just those little habits can really, over time with patience, really set the tone and say to the organization, like, hey, we always have to be talking about, and it's everybody's job to deeply understand who the customer is and to incorporate it into the work. So that's that's one side i think the other side is i think a program like a voice of the customer program which a lot of enterprises have voice of the customer programs and i think that's a very important thing which is to to help develop a centralized hopefully lightweight conversation that brings forward a specific and detailed customer experience that is frustrating to a customer for some reason isn't being picked up in the organization and the voice of the customer group mm. brings it forward they vet it they make sure it, we fully understand it and then they put work prioritize work on teams in order to actually fix it and make a difference I think that type of, of program can can not only help fix important issues but again it's sending the message to the organization of you know we need to pay attention to the details we need to pay attention to the details of the customer experience we are going to strive to knock down friction oriented, quality oriented issues that are impacting customers.
0: One of my favorite uh, books, all-time favorite books, John, is a book by Pat Lencioni called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And, and, and one of those dysfunctions is the fear of conflict. And, and you write about harmony in the workplace is overvalued. What kind of impact can the fear of having hard discussions have on a company's results?
1: Yeah, a great topic. And one that's easily, you know, you can kind of hear in multiple ways and everything, right? And so it's not that being a collaborative or thoughtful colleague isn't important. It's just that you have to be careful about making it the most important thing in the workplace, right? And I think in general, what a place like Amazon does is they just say, hey, being a good colleague, being thoughtful, mm-hmm. being collaborative, all those things are important. It's just not the most important thing. Being right is the most important thing. And so we ha- if we have to prioritize, we're gonna take being right above being collaborative. And all that does is it gives leaders the the challenge and the permission of we have to push past the polite, easy answers. We have to get to the moments of truth, right? The real truth seeker mindset of truly understanding something, being vocally self-critical and vocally critical of others, and, and have enough courage and enough faith in our colleagues that we can actually Call things out for what they are. We don't grow by saying how great we are, you know, and everything, right? (laughs) We grow both organization and as people, by recognizing where the faults are and then saying, how are we going to address those faults, right? Mm. And and so you need to do that in a thoughtful way. But when you, the, the way to have those conversations is, A, by talking about the customer, and B, with data. And so when you're leading conversations with customers' perspectives and data, then you can get past the, like, well, it's a little awkward to call out, but, you know, your team <laughs> really didn't do their job last week or whatever whatever. whatever it is, that's the sort of stuff that a company like Amazon, they strive to push through. And and they're not perfect, they're not perfect on any of this, but they, they make it known to the organization being right is more important than than being polite. We want both, but if we have to mm. choose one, we are going to take being right.
0: Uh, in my time at my last company, I always enjoyed having those sort of uh, uncomfortable moments when there was somebody brand new to the company sitting around the table, <laughs> <laughs> seeing the look on their face. Like, oh gosh, these guys really go at it, don't?
1: They? <laughs> well, yeah, and and it's one of the. You know, I, I get to be a, uh, I'm an advisor to lots of organizations, and I know a fraction of what's going on. And it's I, I consider it a real of real power to be able to ask, you know, the obvious questions, you know, and everything. So mm. they'll be talking about something like, oh, you know, a customer order came in, and I'll just ask a question I'm like, well, how how long did it take you to recognize that the issue happened? Mm. Well, John, it took us a couple days. Like, why did it take a couple days to recognize? you know, that this issue is going on. Well, this is the reason. Well, if you had better monitoring in place, couldn't we get that down to be real time in nature? You know, crickets, right? It'll be silent, you know, and everything, right? That to me is like part of the power of being an outsider and asking root cause oriented questions and just not accepting that the status quo is good enough.
0: Not surprisingly, Amazon has disrupted dozens of industries, probably retail, computer hardware, software, numerous others. Do you see similar opportunities, John, in other industries where disruption is inevitable?
1: Well, to some degree, I kind of, you know, the flip side question, like what industry doesn't have an (laughs) opportunity for significant dramatic change, especially where external parties, non-traditional players might play a significant role in mm. creating that change, right? Where So there's, you know, new winners and, and old losers, basically, right? But I think in particular, you know, healthcare, I don't think anybody would say they're happy. Employers aren't happy, patients and families aren't happy, and practitioners aren't happy, right? But there's so much money and profit involved. I don't think the industry, they, they say they're mm. motivated to make change and disrupt. and and everything, but I I don't think it's going to happen unless there's true external threat and an existential crisis that happens. And that's why I think it's so important that businesses like Haven, which is the joint venture between J.P. Morgan Chase, Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon, I don't think that, you know, will that become a significant company over time? I don't know. They're at least going to represent the 1.3 million employees that those three companies represent. But I think that they will create an exemplar maybe for others to follow and so i think i think healthcare is a massive opportunity on every angle and again it's almost 20% of our economy and nobody would say they're happy <laughs> uh, with that, uh, with the results of that, I continue to think logistics is con- is seeing this happen right now and is going to continue to see it. And there's so many exciting things within logistics. And it, you know, logistics supply chain sounds like such a an old and predictable and and non sexy set of functions. I think supply chain is mm. some of the best innovation and work going on out there, and one Amazon has been and will always be centered around. And that goes from you know, last mile delivery to inner country transportation and everything. I think on every angle, transportation and logistics and supply chain and predictive supply chain is a tremendous area for disruptive going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Well said. Uh, well, one of the book's ideas, John, suggests that there is power in being misunderstood. Uh, how has has Amazon followed the principle of challenging common assumptions about how things work? And, and how can can other organizations apply this to their own businesses?
1: Yeah, I think the spirit behind that is really if you're truly going to innovate, you had better be ready for being misunderstood (laughs) and for having your ideas and your words poked fun at and misconstrued by others, right? I mean, Mm. examples of this. So when when we launched free everyday shipping at Amazon, so this is 2000, I don't know if you remember what the general commentary was. We were called irresponsible, Mm. unsustainable, uh, rookies, you know, and everything, (laughs) right? Well, free shipping is now just the the de facto assumption by customers, right? Amazon had the recognition and the fortitude that we think this is the right thing for our customers. We think this is the right thing for our business over the long term. Mm. And while we hear what others say we have our own independent perspective on that and we're we're okay with that we are okay with being misunderstood about this right and i think that that's really to some degree if somebody is truly thinks that like they are innovating a business model or disrupting something if you aren't being talked about in a negative sense you probably aren't really changing something right because this mm-hmm. the current incumbents one of their natural defensive when they're being threatened is, well, you say bad things about it, right? And so if you aren't hearing those bad things, it means you aren't really threatening them. So that's really what it's about is just making sure that you understand the nature of innovation is having others say negative things about you. And while you need to try to find any truth that you can take from that or learnings you can take from that, you, you you better understand and have the confidence in yourself to be able to ignore those along the way, or you truly aren't going to be willing to make change happen.
0: You got to have thick skin, for sure. <laughs> you do have to
1: have thick skin, exactly.
0: Well, in our, in our culture, changing your mind on something is often considered a flaw or a weakness. You know, a politician might be said to be flip-flopping on an issue, for example, and and you say that becoming digital at least for for most companies requires change at every level How can leaders actively challenge uh, long held some might say antiquated beliefs in a convincing way
1: Well, I think there's a couple of key nuances there. one is um like for what reason are you changing your mind right mm. if you're to me flip flopping is oftentimes you're just trying to please the other party right like mm. oh, to this party, the answer is yes, and to this <laughs> party the answer is no only because you're 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 trying to please the other party right mm. probably not a great leadership model but if you have the mindset of this is my decision now based on these facts based on this situation this is the right thing for me to do in the future when facts change when situations change you really do have to be willing to put aside your past position and really only ask the question, what's the right thing to do going forward? Mm-hmm. And so I think that so many businesses, they're so proud and they should be proud of their heritage and the, and the strategies that they've had in the past. But sometimes those strategies will lock you in and limit you in the future. And I think one of the things you've seen Amazon do, they're a 25-year-old company now, they're already rethinking a number of their past strategies and have shown the willingness to change those strategies. So an example is creating retail stores, right? When I was at Amazon, we were so proud and committed to being a pure e-commerce model that we had so many natural advantages Mm. to retail stores by not having retail stores, right? We could have endless inventory, we could reach customers faster. Well, about seven or eight years ago, Amazon started to rethink, well, maybe now we do need some some aspects of physical store presence. And they started with the Amazon bookstore and they've been slowly refining that experience and slowly adding bookstores. A couple of years ago, they took a big step forward by acquiring Whole Foods. They continue to make physical presence a more important part of their primarily e commerce business model. Another mm-hmm. example where Amazon has rethought a past position is in advertising. When I was at Amazon, there was basically no advertising. We considered free everyday shipping to be our marketing budget. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, about five, six years ago, Amazon said, given the size of our business now, given what our customers know in both AWS, in Prime, in Echo, you can't go through any airport or watch a major league baseball game without seeing an ad, right? They've Mm -hmm. obviously been willing to rethink core strategies. And I think that at the executive level, at the board level, being willing to change your mind on past positions takes a very self-aware, takes a very confident team and executive to do that. And the only question you should be asking is, what's the right thing to do going forward? Mm. Not why did we do it in the past? And that's, that's, that's intrinsically hard to do.
0: And we talked a moment ago about industries that Amazon has already disrupted. And you mentioned healthcare being ripe for disruption down the road. Why are you hoping that the pharmacy business specifically is next on Amazon's list?
1: You know, if you think about Going into your your typical pharmacy today. Has that changed in the past 25 years not to much. a dramatic degree? Not not much really, right? And so that's why I think the pharmacy experience has so much opportunity, is it's it's still a pretty inflexible one approach fits all customers model. And then of course you have kind of the cost model of the drugs and the pharmaceuticals themselves and everything, right? Which is widely written about and Amazon tends to compete more on total volume and driving costs down. And so I think that they would be a a very comfortable um, competitor in a space that has excess margins in it.
0: Well, you say in the book, John, uh, and I'm quoting you here, to differentiate yourself from the competition, you must grant your customers a superpower that is completely unique from what other companies give them. What do you mean by that? Exactly. When you say superpower,
1: well, um, I mean relate back to the pharmacy experience, right? Which mm. is what t- typically when people think they're innovating, really what they're doing is they're just kind of matching what good is today. Mm. A superpower is the type of thing that, and it and it doesn't have to be across the board in the entire customer experience, but you have to tell me at least one thing that dramatically improves the customer experience of of today. So for example, I was working with a client and we were talking about the ability to kind of change the plan. And they Mm -hmm. were talking about like, yeah, you know, we want to be able to let the customer call and make the plan. And I said, well, how long would it take that to take effect? Like, oh, you know, probably a week or two. It's like, why can't I into my phone say, please change my plan? And why can't that be done right then? <laughs> and and we worked that backwards from like an engineering perspective, like you actually could do it. But it was just because they weren't thinking about how to dramatically change the customer experience. They were thinking about really like how to just beat the competition. Mm. And so that's what a superpower, you know, when you imagine a superpower, right? I can fly, I'm bulletproof, <laughs> I can, you know, have, have x-ray vision. Those are outrageous superpowers that our superheroes have right and and, and that's the the nature of the you know, the concept that there is think about truly like what how are you going to change the nature of the game for your customer and that helps you know, align with your brand and what your customer promises. And that's truly the way to differentiate in this market. Being 10% better, that will allow your current customers to stay with you, but that won't typically be enough to mm. get customers switching to you. You have to be at least twice as good to get customers to switch over to you. That's a superpower.
0: I love it. I feel like we've only uh, touched the tip of the iceberg here. I've got a couple of questions for you, John, not directly related to the book, but before I yeah. ask you, those. Is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that we walk away with?
1: Well, I mean, again, we kind of started off with this concept, which is, you know, the book's not really about Amazon and Mm. it's about you. And I get asked a lot like, oh, what's the half idea at the end? And (laughs) and really, everybody wants transformation and become innovative in the company. And they think of that as like this amorphous organizational thing that's going on, right? Digital transformation. But really, in my experience, it's about leaders being willing to change some of their own own personal habits and personal beliefs and personal orientations. Mm -hmm. And so the question back is, what are you personally willing to change about where you spend your time, how you allocate resources, what you pay attention to, what new skills are you willing to build? If you expect it to happen without you changing, I I don't hold a lot of promise for Mm -hmm. that type of situation. So really, like, what are you willing to do that's different in order to compete differently?
0: Mm. Well, I mentioned uh, earlier, John, that one of my favorite books was from Pat Lencioni called uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I'd be curious to know, a couple of yours, uh, books that have impacted you over the years or during the course of your career that have had an impact on you and maybe share why or how they impacted you as they did.
1: Yeah, well, I think one of the the classics is "The Goal" by Eli Golrat. and uh, it's a it's a very well written. It's done in a story format, which I, I find so fascinating, and it's really the explanation of the theory of constraints, which may sound kind of abstract, but it's actually this complete orientation of how to strive for cycle time reduction, cost improvement, quality improvement, and understanding the entire value chain of how a situation happens. And that is a foundational book for any manager and and across any industry. And so I think that that's a book that I've leaned on a lot. And and the thing I, you know, I find is that you know, it's always the fundamentals that people get lazy about mm. or forget or don't apply or, or or give lip service to, right? And so those types of books we get which get to essential simple truths I think are the important reminders to us about breaking problems down, about clearly communicating and using data to articulate our points. Point of view, and then being able to synthesize back up into well, what do I do about it? So that that's a book that I uh, I highly recommend both to to young people and established people.
0: Well, as someone John who's called upon often to to give keynote talks, that may in fact be why you're in Cancun right now. I'm not sure, but it is. Uh, well, what would be some of your tips, uh, John, for delivering a talk that's going to leave a lasting impression, is going to be impactful, going to be memorable?
1: Oh, some of my tips. Well, A is make it real. And I'm not a world-class entertainer. I'm not a world-class <laughs> speaker. But the perspectives I have, the, the recommendations I have are world-class. And so, you know, my tip is like if you've got world class insight, you need to just be a good speaker in order to be successful because, mm-hmm. you know, there's kind of like is the audience there for entertainment or are they there for education? If they're there for education, if you've got great actionable insights you're gonna win in delivering that as a speaker and mm-hmm. so just you know keep it simple and give a, a simple example and a, and a simple recommendation and then the other kind of funny recommendation I heard about being a successful keynote speaker was start off with a world-class headline end up with a world-class headline and make the distance between the two as short as possible <laughs> right and so and so I think that not talking in specific points and headlines and then stopping and continuing that's that's an important aspect of the communication that's needed for audiences, is making the points very discernible, very simple, and very recognizable.
0: Well, the book has been out now, I think, for a couple of months. And I know, obviously, you're still doing quite a bit of promotion for the book. But uh, beyond that, what's ahead for you and your team that you're currently excited about?
1: Well, I'm just working with a number of leaders and companies that really want to change the status quo. And that's the passion that picked me was I'm impatient and I like (laughs) building new capabilities, new solutions, you mm. know, and everything, right? And I'm a creative problem solver in that space. So I'm, I, And I like learning about new industries and new specifics. And so I'm excited about some of the clients I'm working on.
0: Awesome. Well, the book again is called Think Like Amazon, 50 and a Half Ideas to Become a Digital Leader. His name is John Rossman. Great talking to you, John. I appreciate you taking time out of uh, what is obviously a busy schedule and in the middle of a traveling elsewhere and you still made time for us. We're really appreciate it. So thank you so much.
1: Well, I, I appreciate what you do. I've listened to your podcasts and I always come away like those essences of what I talked about. A good keynote is I always come away from your discussions with, oh, there's something I can really apply into my life. So I appreciate
0: what you do. I encourage you to connect with John on social media, maybe even consider telling him what you thought about his chat here with us on the Read to Lead podcast. Find out those links, links to his book and the book he recommended and everything else we talked about at the show notes page I've created for this episode. You'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 276. For episode 276, looking for a business book club to join? One that meets virtually with people all over the country and one where the authors of the books we're reading sometimes visit our meetings? Well, that's Read to Lead University. I'd love to have you join the book club. You can find out more about it at readtoleaduniversity.com. I'm so thankful that you listened to Read to Lead. If you happen to have feedback, comments, or questions, you can email those to me directly, Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. That does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.